0: Bibles to First Peter five, and I want to read verses eight and nine. And for a few moments, I want to teach about some things you should know about the devil. First Peter five, verses eight and nine. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Now, this epistle that Peter wrote, you can see in the first few verses of chapter 1, that is written to persecuted Christians in what today is modern Turkey. And these folks were being hindered because of their faith, troubles were there. You will also. Observe, if you read this epistle, that in every chapter, you run into the word suffering. It's not talking about the sufferings of Christians. It's talking about the sufferings of our Savior. But you also run into the word sober or sober-minded frequently. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. You understand that sobriety is necessary for functioning As a good adult or as a good citizen, to be clear-headed, to be able to think through and think accurately is important. This is why when Peter is talking to the readers concluding this epistle in verse 8, he tells them, be sober. Make sure you have your wits about you, able to think accurately and know the difference between right and wrong, able to. To be, to be able to discern. He says, be vigilant. That's to be watchful. That's somebody that's not sleeping on the job, but paying attention when there are adversaries and persecutors and opponents that are all around us. If someone were to anger you or you got into a disagreement with someone in and, and, and wrath, they said something like, well, you, you just wait. I'm coming around your house at three o'clock in the morning. I, I guarantee you. You'd be vigilant. You'd be paying attention to see if somebody was going to come and cross that property line or maybe try to come into that house. But well, we've got to understand that we have opposition in a variety of different directions. And as Christians, we also need to be vigilant. We need to be watchful. Like watchmen and watchwomen on the wall, we need to be intercessors and be prayerful. And there's a reason Paul, or excuse me, Peter says in verse eight, here's the reason, because your adversary, the devil. So here's one of the first things I want you to know about the devil. He is not your friend. It doesn't matter how the culture presents him. They can package him as if witchcraft and evil is a positive thing. And it's not as bad as it seems. I give you my word. The devil is not your friend. He's not your ally. He'll buddy up close to you and close to me because he wants to get next to us in order to be able to mislead us and move us away from God. So the adversary is someone who takes a position that is opposed to where we stand and what we believe. The scripture says we contend earnestly for the faith that was once delivered. The Bible teaches us that we should assemble ourselves with people of like precious faith. The devil comes because he's opposed to anything connected with the kingdom of God, and he's not a friend. I reiterate, he's not a friend. Now, we have all kinds of productions today for kids that really intrigue them and captivate them, and they they find sorcery to be a fascinating thing. But I'm telling it's nothing to play with, folks. Uh, evil is evil. I had a good friend many years ago that was in Africa. I want to say he was in Uganda, but I'm not sure at this point what country it was. But he had come to Arabic school to study with me, but he told me he had a roommate, and his roommate one night, they had all of this African music that was being played in the village, And all the tom-tom drums were being played, and they were burning the stuff out there, and you could see the bonfires. And he said he looked over there in that room, in that darkened, shadowy room, his roommate. He suddenly got up on all fours in that bed, and his body started jerking and started gyrating, and his spine curved. And he said from his perspective, it just about looked like you could see bones that were just kind of sticking out over the edge but he said that body was jerking and gyrating with that music said the man was unconscious the whole time eyes rolled up in his head and he said this went on for hours until those Africans and their, those rituals finally settled down he said, when the music stopped, he said, my friend went back to bed and he said, woke up the next morning like there never was a problem at all. So I said to him, I said, well, Bob, what did you do? I said, did you stand up, cast the devil out and tell the devil to leave? What did you do? He said, no, man, I got out of there and came and studied Arabic here in Jordan. He didn't want to have anything to do with witchcraft and stuff. He thought it'd be easier for him to get over there in Islam than have to deal with black magic. But that's a man who, because of that experience, he came to realize that the devil, he is not a friend. He's an adversary. He controls a lot of people. Now, the word devil in the Greek means slanderer. It means he's someone that lies. He hurls slander and deception at people. And you know that he's good at what he does. Look at our current culture. All it takes to destroy a preacher today is an accusation. It doesn't even have to be true. All it takes to destroy a worker on the job is a false accusation. It doesn't have to be true. They'll fire somebody or suspend somebody and then begin to work to see whether or not it was true. And even if they bring you back, they won't apologize for having fired you or suspended you in an unrighteous manner. The devil has created a culture in which slander is something that is to be promoted and to be approved. Look at how many times newspapers will print what they know is a lie. And then when they print the rejoinder, not the rejoinder, but when they print the retraction, they put it way back on page 13 where no one is going to see it. In the culture of evil, the devil goes out of his way so that he can lie on Christians and so that he can slander. Now the Bible says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We stay close to him. We're connected with him. We understand we have more power than the devil. But it doesn't change the fact that with all of his resources, he's after Christians and he's been going after them for a long time. What else does it say? It says he's like a roaring lion. Now, a lion, of course, is known as king of the beasts. And the image or the symbol of the lion in ancient Roman history was one that was popular. The Assyrians liked it. There's something forceful and fearsome about a lion. If you've seen them in a zoo, for the most part, they look lazy. But if you see them out in the wild and up close, I mean, they are pretty sturdy, and their body tone is muscular, they're very lean, and when they roar, the reason that that roar uh, imposes such fright is because that is how they terrorize their foe. A lion sometimes will take his mouth and he'll kind of roar at the ground, and then that ground just causes the sound of it to disperse. If you've ever heard a lion roar up close, you can be a quarter of a mile away, and just like somebody playing loud music, it'll reverberate in your chest. The scripture says the devil is as a roaring lion. It doesn't say he is a lion. It says he's like a roaring lion. That means he tries to intimidate, and so many Christians are intimidated by him. The devil knows that the best thing he can do is create fear without you ever seeing him. Think of the tricks that maybe your older siblings played on you when you were younger. I know my brothers were terrible about it. I'd be in bed with them laying in between them, one on either side. And Of course, they had me by seven years and ten years. And I'd be laying there. Then all of a sudden I start hearing all these little sounds like there was a ghost or a boogeyman or somewhere in there. And of course, I mean, I'm looking around like that. And then they're telling me, well, you better watch it. The boogeyman's coming in here to get you. Now, I can't see a thing, but I'm terrified. It's the sound of it. And then what they're saying that's making me afraid. So the adversary comes to produce fear because Fear is a form of faith. It's just a negative form of faith. See, if I'm trusting God, I'm believing God's going to give me something. Fear is when you believe something's going to happen before it happens. And it may not necessarily happen. There are some people who are afraid our marriage isn't going to last. I'm afraid I'm going to lose the house. Not going to be able to keep my car and pay the car note. And the devil works on that fear because People are already anticipating and in some ways expecting the bad to happen because they're afraid. So he roars and he makes a lot of noise. But you know as well as I do, if he could have destroyed you, he would have did it a long time ago. Yeah. So he is just spouting off. The scripture here says he walketh about. He's mobile. He's not just targeting one person. The devil is targeting many people, and when you think that you're the only one facing the private battles and wars that you're facing, I can promise you there are several thousand others dealing with the same thing you're wrestling with, because the devil is constantly out and about, mobile, on the prowl. The Lord said to him one time, where have you been? He said, I've been looking for somebody to harass. The Lord said, have you considered my servant Joel?" Oh, if I was Job, I'd have been thinking, oh, I wish you hadn't said that. Have you considered my servant Job? He's a righteous man and he shuns evil and fears God. The devil said, I I know about him, but I can't get to him because you got that hedge about him. But you just pull that thing down and I can promise you he'll be talking about you and cursing you and blaspheming your name here in just a little bit. And the Lord then just let the devil do what he was going to do. And Job went through all kinds of problems. But here's the point. The adversary said, I was going to and fro in the earth. He's looking for somebody. He may be on the prowl for you or me tonight. He may be thinking about you, may be thinking about me, it may not particularly be Satan, but one of those unclean spirits or demons has targeted you because if you are a Christian and you've trusted in the shed blood of Jesus, been born again by the power of God and been sealed with the Holy Spirit, you have the mark of God on you and the devil wants to destroy you. There's no doubt, no doubt at all, seeking whom he may devour. So you need to let the devil know he may not devour you. He wants to consume you, destroy you. Now, how does the lion destroy his prey? Well, of course, if you've seen documentaries, you know, people have different, animals have different ways, you know, the instinct that they have. I always like to watch those wild dingo dogs, you know, when they get to chasing after a rabbit or something like that, and that rabbit is just going. I mean, he's moving, and you're looking, at, it like, oh, my goodness, there's no way on this earth that dingo is going to catch that rabbit. But then it keeps on running, keeps on running, and then before you know it, then that dingo just kind of pulls back to another one, gets going. And that hare, he's, he's, he's wearing out those dogs, but when you've got seven or eight or nine of them, they eventually wear out that rabbit, then they destroy it. You see them sometime when they go after a herd of animals. They get that herd to running, and once it gets to moving, then they'll try to they'll try to splice some of that herd off, and then they're looking for the feeble one, and then they'll go right after it and devour it. That's how the devil is. He wants to cut people off from connections to churches and fellowship and relationship, but I'm telling you, we're stronger. In connection with the body of Christ. Because we're in contact with people who have passed through the similar things or who are passing through the same things we're going through right now. And just coming to church, it's good just to have somebody smile at you sometime. And your week could have been so bad, but just to be able to get a hug from somebody means a lot. And I really do think that's one of the reasons a whole lot of people in the past year died with a broken heart just because they had nobody to be affectionate with them when they were solitary and alone and afraid. A lot of people in nursing homes passed away without ever being able to hold that great-grandchild, you see, without ever being able to have a son or a daughter come place their arms around them just say, Honey, you know, I just love you so much. Yeah, yeah, very important. So the lion, his tactics are somewhat different because... In the pride of lions, you know, at night, the men just kind of, the male lions just kind of lay around and stare at the moon. And they send them lionesses out there and they do all the battling, all the fighting. I mean, they'll take on a baby elephant if they can, but whatever they, they jump on, it's usually a lot of them and the combined weight of them getting on a larger prey will take it down because they're not the fastest. And then afterwards they start making the sounds and let the men come and enjoy the feast and then they lay there and let the guys eat and then what's left, then the ladies will go ahead and enjoy themselves. What what a wonderful world that animal kingdom is, I'm telling you. Yeah. So think about it then. If the devil cannot slow you down, he'll overwhelm you. He'll have you so busy That's your head spinning. He'll try to destroy you through a load of weight and cares. That's why the scripture says, cast your care upon him. And when all of the adversaries are attacking you one by one, before you know it, you're fighting bitterness. You're fighting unforgiveness. Doubt and fear and unbelief are attacking you there you're having a struggle with all of these different things. And there are a lot of people who are swallowed up by this and devoured by it. And they crumble under the weight of it. But here's what the scripture says in verse 9 concerning the adversary. It says, whom resist steadfast in the faith. That tells you right there two more things we need to know. Number one, the devil is defeatable. But it also tells us, number two, that we as Christians are equipped to overcome him. Yeah, he's defeatable. He comes with one temptation after another, and his trials are difficult. Folks, I'm telling you, he threw everything but the kitchen sink at Job. A lesser man would have caved in. I've seen other people give up living because of fewer things they had to deal with than Job. But yet when Job says to his wife, shall I not receive bad from the hand of the Lord, just like I received good, I come out of that womb naked. That's how I'm going to return. And he gets down and he starts worshiping God, praising God. Can you do that? See, That's how we resist the devil. Don't give in to the transformation of your attitudes and emotions according to your test and trial. The scripture says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord is with me. That shadow of the presence of of God is much greater than the shadow of death. And though your valley may be long, don't ever forget there's still an exit down there. God never told you to camp out in the valley. He said, yea, though I walk through the valley, just keep on moving and trust in God. We resist the devil with our faith. Even though he's saying there's no way out, you keep saying I've got confidence in God. And when he's whispering in your ear telling you it's terminal, you'll be dead soon. You just tell the devil, I'll be like Paul told Timothy, be thou faithful unto death. I'm trusting God. As long as there's breath in my body, I'm trusting God. So if the adversary is defeatable, then Every Christian should know that we have no reason to be afraid and we have no reason to want to run from the battle. Now, there are people that don't like confrontation, but if you're going to be a Christian, you have to be willing for confrontation and the the devil's going to create havoc in your life. He'll do little things like this. he'll, He'll start working on your children just to get at the parents. Yeah. I've seen folks where I say, well, how, how was your weekend? Oh, pastor, it was terrible, terrible. I said, well, what happened? Oh, this happened, that happened. Next thing I knew, I had to go to the police station. Son was arrested for this or that drunk driving or whatever. And of course, you know, I couldn't get any sleep. So I'm down there trying to figure out what's going on. I'm talking with him. So I'm all uneasy about all of that. I'm at wit's hand. I'm praying. I'm asking God, give me some direction about all of this so you know when when they've got to go back to work monday morning because of what happened during the weekend their emotions are all unstable and disturbed and i mean it's not the best time for them on the job and that's exactly what the devil does he tries to be a master chess player and maneuver all of these different events and these circumstances because he wants to control your attitude. He wants to control your emotions. If he can bring you into a state of defeat and despair, then he's halfway there in robbing you of the victory. But the scripture says the joy of the Lord is your what? Your strength. If you want muscles, you got to be happy. And the Bible says a merry heart works like a medicine. So the person who is battling depression and fighting excessive sorrow, put on some praise music. Put on the kind of music that will glorify God. When I have people that tell me, Pastor, could you pray for me? I've been having terrible dreams with the devil coming to me in the dreams and just terrible nightmares of, of satanic stuff and all of that. Then I'll ask the question, what are you watching? What are you listening to? What kind of music are you playing in your ears when you get in your car and when you're at home? If you're going to fill that mind with all kinds of stuff that comes from the minds of people who don't know God, it's only a matter of time before the devil starts trying to plant stuff inside of you that brings forth fruit. And don't think. We're just talking about one or two kinds of music, folks. I'm telling you, it could be everything from heavy metal, acid rock. It could be blues, music, R&B. doesn't make any difference at all. Anything that's going to get you to meditating on fornication, adultery, drunkenness, and all of this stuff that the culture of this world tolerates and approves, if you give it time, the devil will use it to take advantage of you. Now, we cannot control the people on our jobs. Anybody ever work with somebody had a bad mouth? Oh, yeah. Been been a few people work with folks like that. Yeah. And and you can't control their language and their speech, but you can control your reaction to it. You know, as a pastor, when people find out I'm a preacher, there are times when people they'll go out of their way to, to, you know, to utter a few words just to see what kind of reaction they get. I don't give them one. I don't give them one because, I mean, the devil's going to be the devil. You know, I I don't I don't give them one at all. And so if, if we don't give place to the devil, then he gains no ground inside of you. Yeah. The scripture says, whom resist steadfast in the faith. It angers people when you won't respond to the evil that they're doing. Now the devil, I have discovered, when he goes into a church He typically is wearing a pair of pants, a suit, a dress, some shorts, some exercise pants, some jogging pants, whatever. Because the devil needs a human body through which to animate himself and to manifest his attitudes and his actions. And when the devil comes into a place, the church has to be strong enough to handle it, equipped, you know. Whom resists steadfast in the faith. I was telling uh, the folks earlier about an occasion where I was preaching in a high school auditorium. And the whole time I was preaching the gospel, this place was packed. And a lot of the folks had come down in the, the front uh, seats of the auditorium. And while I was preaching, there was this, this young man, I don't know how old he was, late teens, early 20s. But the whole time I was preaching, he was giving me the middle finger. The whole time I was preaching. Now imagine that. And so most of the people in the church didn't see him doing it. <clears throat> but I'm preaching, and I'm watching him as he's <clears throat> flipping me off. And then after a period of time in that message, he gets up, walks down that center aisle, goes out those double doors, and I see him go towards my left. And then five, ten minutes went by, and somebody jumped up, went out there to see what was going on. Then next thing I knew, person. The person who went out there to check them came running back in, got somebody else. They all ran back out there. All of this traffic is going on while I'm trying to preach. And the people in the auditorium didn't know what was going on because they're watching me. But I see all of this. I'm just still ministering the word. And when it's all over, they come and they physically drug this boy down to that altar for me to pray for him. Well, what happened was he he went out there and he was in that hallway in and, and, and wickedness, self-stimulating himself, and they caught him, and so the person ran in, got somebody else, ran out there, and they had a whole crowd of them, they brought him into me. So he gets down here in the altar in front of me, and he's angry and upset that he has to be in front of me. Oh, he's a mess as I'm standing there looking at him. And so I said, "Well, how in the world did all this happen? And I guess he would got a hold of some bad magazine or something when he was a kid. But, But his parents, rather than taking him off to some psychologist or psychiatrist or something, they were tying his hands in the bed to keep him from doing stuff to himself at night. So now he's in front of me, in front of all these people. So they tell me all of this, I'm ready to minister to him. So I stretch forth my hand to him. I never even touched him. And my hand never even got within 12 inches of him, I don't think. And he just fell down. I mean, just, just crumbled. Just fell down into that floor. And he's shaking and everything. And people are praying. And, and I'm saying, in the name of Jesus, you unclean spirit, come out of him right now. Come out of him right now. I'm repeating it over and over and over again. Well, he settles down. We lead him to Christ. His life was changed. But, but here's my point. I wonder how many other guest speakers came through that church that he conducted himself like that with, you know. The Bible says, resist steadfast in the faith. The believer must know that there is something about our relationship with Christ that gives us power. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Never be intimidated By the devil at all. Now verse 9, and this is where we'll hang our hat. It says, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. All over the earth at that time, Christians were being persecuted. Lives were being lost. It's the same today. The same devil that was at work fighting the church in the book of Acts and during the writing of the epistles, Is the same devil and demons that are fighting Christians today. We do what we can to preach the gospel. But we understand that in order to preach the gospel, you've got to deal with evil. There are people that don't like the gospel. They don't like the name of Jesus. They're opposed to what churches stand for because our beliefs and our values very often are opposed to what the culture promotes. So they turn their attention to the church. Some do it directly, some do it with indirect methods, but in the end, the afflictions come to the church because of the fact we love the Lord. Jesus said, don't be surprised if they hate you, they hate me. And it's not you or me that they really dislike. It's Christ that lives in us. Out in California years ago, they tried to start a new religion called Chrislam, and they wanted to get some Christianity and Islam beliefs together. And you had churches taking up offerings to help build mosques in California. And in Islam, they were saying, well, since Muslims believe in Jesus and accept him as the prophet, then we have to, you know, we can just get together and all basically believe what the Koran believes. But you see what the sacrifice is. You sacrifice the truth so you don't end up with Islam or Christianity. You end up with Islam. That's all it is. Here just last week or a week before last, whatever, whatever it happened, it was recently Uh, A man over in Uganda, a Christian preacher, was asked to participate in a debate with a Muslim. He did. He bested the Muslim to the point that he led numbers of Muslims to Christ. And when it was over, the Muslims were so angry, they followed this Christian preacher in his car. And he was on, on some motorcycles. And before he got to his village, they cut him off and they... They stopped him from going to his village, and he had told his son already. He said, now, look, he's in another car. He said, you, you see what they're doing. You, you make sure you take another road and come back around. But when he came back around, those Muslims had taken his father out of that vehicle, were slapping him around. and When the son found the body, they had decapitated, and cut his tongue out of his mouth because a man preached Christ. The Bible says, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world right up to the end, that Ugandan preacher trusted God. So we're going to find out whether or not we really believe this book. Because we see the direction that the culture and the nation is going in. My hope and my prayer is still that God would turn this thing. I'm not so pessimistic. That, that I just think America is without hope. I honestly believe as long as you've got two or three that can touch and agree in prayer, God can bring revival and God can do some wonderful things. But, but I see the direction that it's going. But would you really be willing to come visit Pastor if he was in jail? Would you not want people to know you're even associated with somebody that believes like me? Would I really want to come visit you in the county jail or the state pen? Because you're there simply because you said something about Jesus and about the book and other people took it to be hate speech. Gave you 60 days. Incarceration. We're going to find out, folks, what we believe. And I hope and pray that what we believe is in line with the book. Jesus lived. He died. But he was raised again. We died in him. He lives through us, but one day we'll receive a glorified body. Let's stand. I'm so glad this physical body is not the end, folks. It's not the end. There's so much more to you and to me. Ah, Isn't it good to know Jesus is a conqueror and he's stronger than the adversary? Praise God. I I had a, a man one time. He was asking me about some of the stories I tell about my travels and he said uh he said well, why 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 doesn't god do that kind of stuff right here in our churches i said i'm quite pleased that god's doing all of that in my travels i said i wouldn't even want to see some of the things i've seen taking place here in the church just not the place i would even want Some of that to be dealt with. However, if somebody comes through the door, folks, and they're needing deliverance or help, we have to be people of faith, ready to provide it in Jesus' name. But Father, we love you, we worship you, we honor you. You truly are the Lord of our lives. And when we think of all the good that you've done, the blessings you've brought into all of our lives, we can't help but thank you. Lord, I pray that each one of us would have faith enough to resist the adversary, faith enough to overcome him. And then at the same time, Lord, give us the grace to be able to deliver the captives when you bring them across our path. Help us to speak the truth in love because you said that the truth is what makes a person free. So we know the scheme of deliverance. It's to present the truth to people. And by sharing the truth, that's where the Holy Ghost can work in a heart and break every shackle and every chain. We honor you tonight. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' wonderful name. And everybody said, Amen, amen, amen.